Hi there, welcome to episode 222 of Rook. Say his name, Mohsen Shekari. Never allow this murder to be normalized. I'm Gian Gomeshi, hello to you from Toronto. Salam dostan aziz, durud bashama. Say his name, Mohsen Shekari. Never allow this murder to be normalized. It doesn't matter if the Islamic Republic is already one of the primary users of the death penalty floor. It doesn't matter if they've killed hundreds this year and now this is just one more. If you're not sad, you've suppressed any cathartic way of dealing. If you're not mad, you've been numbed into any loss of feeling. This has been a devastating day for Iranians around the world. The first official execution of an innocent young soul for the crime of simply protesting against this regime. Where are all you folks and media pundits who were so outraged at the so-called fake news that this regime would put 15,000 on death row? Is it now any clearer that brutality and monstrous behavior is the only thing they know? Mohsen Shekari was a 23-year-old out on the front lines trying to help others on the street. He was living out his aspiration to be one of the young voices singing for the mullah's defeat. It was only 18 days from the first step of his sham trial to the moment of his execution. No due process, no attorney, no appeal, only the tool of fear by finding another life to steal. Say his name, Mohsen Shekari. Never allow this murder to be normalized. Today, Mohsen was hanged. And here's the thing, there's no pretense anymore, there's no excuse or manufactured reasons. Remember almost three months ago when they were still trying to claim Massa Amini had heart issues? Oh, that kind of justification is now all gone. This is an all-out war for control of Iran. The message is now clear, engage in any kind of dissent and we will murder you. This is supposed to be a functioning country? Take a moment and ponder before the headlines once again wane. Is there any question left that this theocracy is insane? Say his name, Mohsen Shekhari. Never allow this murder to be normalized. And that is the point. If there is a dearth of appropriate and massive international and domestic response to this latest hanging, the regime has now signaled that this will be the play. Preside over the execution of innocent Iranians every day. And we can't let that ever become normal. We have to keep screaming at the top of our lungs that this is wrong. We have to keep amplifying and educating and spinning a unified song. Because if you're someone out there who is still silent or still on the fence, take note that this regime no longer has any pretense. In the face of this kind of killing, silence is complicity. Pretending you make no difference is engaging in duplicity. And at the same time, this regime is now on the run. This is a bunch of old men whose time is almost done. Their crimes would barely be worth recitation if their actions didn't reek of such desperation. Say his name, Mohsen Shekari. Never forget and never forgive. A 23-year-old hero who simply fought for change. In his name, surely a new Iran is within range. Coming up on this edition of Rook, psychologist Tina Parsa, engineer and activist Bahodor Alast, and classical dancer Helio Bandia, plus the Rook Roundtable. This is Rook, episode 222, The Uprising. Say his name, Mohsen Shikari. Never allow this murder to be normalized. All right. Big show coming up with three of our favorite guests of the last couple of years returning. Uh, how are you? Good, how are that, you? Uh, that essay, I, I, 
I realized I couldn't write something sentimental. Mm-hmm. Just too angry yeah. at this point. It's like I can't, there's no, it's not even, the sadness is there, but I, I the, 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 mad, the, the madness is trumping the sadness mm-hmm. uh, for me, and my throat hurts. It's that roller coaster of emotions, right? Yeah, but this just—I mean—the the executions, uh, and and again, not that this isn't, not that this is new. I mean, mm-hmm. we know that they've been executing people already, but right. but uh, to, to do this with no pretense of I mean, to sh- it's a show, you know, to show the world we're going to start killing protesters. I mean, I'm going to have to ask all the guests about this. It, to, to me, it's just uh, it's it's next level of what this regime is doing, plans mm-hmm. to do. Both, both, both. As I said in the essay, both has an act of, of um, kind of strength, uh, mm-hmm. the perceived strength on their part, and as an act of desperation. desperation yes, you can tell exactly. they're they're more and more desperate to, when they're resorting to this stuff. You know, uh, Bahodor Alast is going to be joining us here in the Rook Studio, uh, engineer, popular YouTuber, who's been really active in the last. Uh, three months speaking out uh, a really smart guy with a, with an interesting history he's actually got family back in Iran who are um, quite religious and I think tied to the regime and he's been pretty outspoken here uh, so Bahador Alast joining me in the Rook studio Helia Bander will join us from Germany the classical Persian dance star and teacher uh, and um, she you know we had her on the show Less than a year ago, I guess it was yes. probably in the in the spring or in the mm-hmm. summer, and um, at that time she was—I don't want to say she was tentative about saying negative things about the regime, but she was still traveling back and forth there, doing teaching there, doing a, a dance instruction for women, uh, and now she's clearly made the decision mm-hmm. that she has to speak out, uh, and she's been um, posting a lot. And uh, glad to have her on the show. She wants to talk about how we need to keep our our focus, she says, for um, this revolution. And first, coming up in just a few minutes, psychologist and psychoanalyst Tina Parsa, who is very popular in social media. And um, uh, she's going to return to Rook, and she'll join me from California in just a bit to talk about, um, well, I'll get her feelings on the latest news coming out of Iran, and also uh, uh, the, the psychology of fear which is what this regime trades on. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, let's discuss the efficacy at this point, whether fear is still working or gonna work with uh, with this ongoing revolution and with young people who seem like uh, they're operating in a post-fear mode. Hi, Shia. Hi, yes, This is the hi. official hellos. Hi, hi Pega. Hello. Uh, we're here. It's Thursday night. Uh, we're about to put this out, but we will not have a show next Monday, just to let you all know, because we are doing our last-minute et- edits and preparation to release our uh, latest documentary, part of the Talking to Persians series. Uh, it's called The Revolution from the Backyard of Iran. It is speaking to Iranians in Istanbul, Turkey, as this ongoing uprising has been taking place. Uh, we're going to drop it across our platforms next Thursday, primarily on YouTube but we'll promote it on the other platforms as well. The Revolution from the Backyard of Iran, our new Rook Media documentary next Thursday. So no show Monday, but we'll spend some time promoting, letting you know that this thing's coming up. Uh, and uh, and then, Shai, you can get some sleep. Yes. <laughs> since you've been in editing mode. Uh, <laughs> poor Shia, we go through, like, we look at the, watch the documentary. The documentary is pretty... 
heavy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because it's, we're talking about the revolution and, and yeah. the folks in Turkey who are supporting it, et cetera. And, um, but then, and it's, it's like been, we've had a couple of three in the morning sessions where, <laughs> and then I'll go, but maybe this song we should change. And he just looks <laughs> at me like, oh God, <laughs> okay, come on now. <laughs> we're almost there. Uh, we are coming to you on rookmedia.com. It's there that you can link to all of our platforms. We're on our ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. We are on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, CastBox. If you'd like to see some visuals with Rook, you can switch over to YouTube. And if you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in both English and in Persian, check us out on Telegram. Let's start this Rook Roundtable and get to some of the news before we get to Tina Parsa. And I guess we should start with Mohsen Shekhari because mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't do my opening essay about anything else as far as I was, I was concerned. This is, uh, this is kind of a big, sad step that it we is. were awaiting. Uh, we knew the executions were coming, but uh, here we go with this regime. Um, what's your take on it? I mean, exactly what you said. I think it's a combination of that sadness and anger. And, and you know, for whatever reason, the anger is um, taking over more than anything else. It's something that uh, we kind of knew was coming, but I mean, it just hit really, really hard. And, um, you know, we've talked about the brutality of this regime. We've talked about um, the atrocities that they've committed. And we've talked about, you know, expecting even worse things to happen. But uh, even though we know all of that, I don't think it changes when we hear news of a 23-year-old being executed. I think that that sadness and anger is still With, there. And the, and, the, and the reasons are just yeah, I mean, anemic. There's nothing waging there. Waging war against God yeah. and the earth and this. Well, and they that. say they say he injured a Basij guy, which I uh, we, we gotta expect was in yeah. self-defense if that did happen. But we don't know what happened. I mean, I've but, read so many different things regarding that. There was an article that came out, um, I think, yesterday. Or this morning, I, I'm losing track of time, honestly. But I think it was his uncle who had said um, what Mohsen had done is he had taken one of these um, like barricade type things, like you know, at concerts there's those yeah. setups and things yeah. like that. There was something like that that he put between himself Correct. and some other yeah. people. Yeah. And um, in fact, he per- didn't saving have, other people exactly yeah. saving yeah. other people and saying his uncle was saying that he doesn't even think he had a knife because the regime is saying he stabbed one of the um, police officers or military or Basij or whoever you want to call them with a knife. And what he's thinking is that perhaps this barricade broke or there was a piece of it or something. And that's what injured the officer. And there's all these conflicting things. But regardless, I mean, none of that is cause for execution or, you know, the sentence that he was given. Or Can I make an observation, though? I, I... You know, I haven't done this scientifically, but it seems to me that there's a fair bit of reporting about this. Like mm-hmm. I've seen it, yeah, you just go to your sort of Apple News or your Google yeah. Google server and you'll see a, a lot of the major English mm-hmm. media are covering this. And I, I wonder, which is nice to see, I mean, nice, whatever, you know. Uh, and by the way, it's still like fucking, you know, at the bottom of yeah. the New York Times. It's not it's not the, the first headlines or anything like that. But I wonder if this is somewhat of a reaction to the, the outcry over the last few days at the at the horrific and, and inane coverage over the weekend of the morality police thing mm-hmm. that we all got so um, upset at and exercised. And I wonder if some media outlets are, are responding to that and trying to I mean, maybe that's wishful thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one can hope that that's the case. But like you said, I mean, this coverage is still at the end of the 
bottom of the pages of you know yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's not the it's not lead. And 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 the thing is, is that this is you keep going. Well, what's the not that we're waiting for the the West to save mm-hmm. Iran, right? Yeah. But but you're when you wonder what's the the straw that broke the camel's back for for the Biden administration. Like, what's it going to be? You know, mm-hmm. Blinken's out there the last couple of days intimating that they want to reopen the the JCPOA, the nuclear uh, deal uh, conversations, you know? So what is going to be that? And, and you kind of, um, you know, it's going to be interesting 24 hours to see what people say, what, mm-hmm. what some of these world leaders say. Uh, but... But I mean, it's also what we've talked about before. You know, it, it, it will be interesting to hear what they say, but I'm still waiting on actions. I mean, we, we've been hearing, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, their thoughts and their prayers yeah. and their emotions and all of that. No, and but, I appreciate but the, that. Partly the actions would be to abandon the ideas of, of yes, negotiating, exactly. dealing with this with the regime, right? Well, I mean, that's that's that would be an action. Mm-hmm. There will be no dealing with the regime. We're re- all of us are recalling our ambassadors. How about that? That would be a start. I mean, we've no been one's done that. For that. Yeah. 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 Twenty-three-year-old. Did you see the video of him singing? Yeah. yeah. Uh, jamming with one of his friends. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I it's heartbreaking. It's really yeah. And did you see the video of uh, Mohsen Shakari's family? Yeah, or his mother. Oh my goodness. Well, is it confirmed that that's his mother? Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. If you haven't there, seen it no out there, it's, it's a dis- really. yeah, it's a description of I th- I, must, I mean, somebody hearing the news yeah. and just breaking down in the street, and it is excruciating mm-hmm. to watch. It is so profoundly sad, and oh, it's I mean, just a. <sighs> it's one thing to see that video and to imagine that feeling. I mean, you know, this is just someone that we've seen a video of, and this is how we feel, let alone his family and whatnot. But what I can't help continue to think about is the other individuals who are currently on quote-unquote death row. I mean, there's a report, I think Amnesty International put this out, and they said there's 21 people currently um, who are awaiting the same... Oh, yeah. Same... And lots more, and, and for lots sure, more. For and, sure. And yeah, these numbers yeah. aren't even accurate. I mean, remember, know that. I mean, but just, just again, to in the in the context of let's not normalize this, mm-hmm. or like go, oh well, you know, these things happen. It's 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 a bad regime, you know. Yeah. Uh, not that anybody's going to say it that way, but you, you know what I mean. Imagine this. Imagine, you know, we've been going on a bunch of demonstrations here. Mm-hmm. Throughout my lifetime, I've been probably to thou- like literally a thousand demonstrations, right. protests in my life. Some sometimes, especially when you're 23 years old, you don't have some grand plan. You're you're kind of like, yeah, I want to join the people. I want to, you know, let's go. Let's yeah. get, you know, I, this. So he goes one day, and he's you know trying to help his his comrades, his sisters and brothers. Mm-hmm. Oh, let me try and pull this over to help you. I'm on the street. Let's block the street. You know, I mean, maybe maybe he should be, uh, I don't know get fined for that or you know uh, the state should put you in prison for a day i don't i don't know i mean they executed somebody for I this mean, realistically the state shouldn't do anything no the, the but i'm no protest, i'm thinking right? of, no well i mean if there's a if there's a a, a a police state yeah you know what's what's something draconian you could do oh the protester let's put him in the tank for mm-hmm. uh, three days you know yeah. or something i mean this is is beyond the pale mm-hmm and I mean, to your point about not normalizing it, 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 I always say, I mean, I use the term, it's funny loosely here. It's not actually funny, but almost ironic because I think about this and I think, you know, I've known about this regime my entire life. I've spent a fair bit of time, yeah. you know, researching and 
following news and you know grew up around the community and have heard the horror stories firsthand and you know by now it's almost like i expect these things but at the same time every time i hear news of a 23 year old being executed it just shakes yeah. me to the core but the fact that they can't come up with anything they're just kind of like yeah we just you know the guy was protesting mm-hmm. that that's the part that is like next level the desperation the desperation yeah. um on the flip side, it does seem like not only is the the movement, the revolution, not waning, but it's gaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was three days of national strikes. That's right. Um, uh, but do we know how national the strikes were? I mean, um, I mean, it's hard to to have confirmed reports, but um, I I saw a report indicating that at least nineteen cities just in just around Western Iran. Um, there's reports of nineteen cities that that took um, part in the nationwide strikes. And then, of course, we've seen some of the major cities like Tehran, Shiraz, Mashhad, Tabriz. I mean, the list goes on. Um, We've obviously seen these viral videos of, you know, rows and rows of shops that are just shuttered and closed. Um, We've heard reports of these text messages that I think we talked about last week as well. Um, People have been receiving these text messages from different unions, from different groups, things like that, saying, you know, if there is closure. So there's obviously been a mass number of closures for videos like this to come out, messages like this to be seen. Um, We've also actually seen and heard reports of banks targeting some businesses now. So um, I think there was a report that indicated some of these uh, business owners have received messages from their bank saying, because you were closed down, your accounts are suspended yeah. or closed and whatnot. So we see the effects of it, and we see that you know it it's ongoing. The the solidarity is still strong. And, and let's note that uh, those different cities from all across Iran that mm-hmm. were participating that it's it really is notable. Like the national scope of this. That's right. It's because there have been protests and protest movements in the past. Uh, other than the green movement that were located, you know, a student uprising in Tehran or the uprising in Khuzestan mm-hmm. or, or even Aban wasn't totally nas- national. This yeah. is a, this is, there's a, there's a will from all corners of the country to participate in this and it's not going away and uh, it's inspiring. It um, is. And, and I think the biggest thing is that you're seeing it in um, not just the bigger cities in the country. You're seeing it kind of in every corner of the right. country. Um, but one thing to note about Tehran specifically, um, we had talked about that anticipation of the rally or big demonstration leading up to um, Azadi Square on the last day yeah. of the nationwide strikes. So there have been reports of upwards of 40,000 people who had gathered. Now, I mean, none of this is confirmed. Obviously, we can't have confirmations on these numbers. But the videos coming out of, you know, the traffic saw the cars yeah that's right exactly so you know just talking about that strength and that maintaining of of this solidarity i mean you see it even in just one of those videos from that yeah shia you have a personal experience with this uh or or your family with this national strike stuff my father actually he he has a cafe and it uh, shuttered for good so in Tehran? In Tehran, yeah. Your dad has a cafe. He decided to close it down for the to for support the, the strikes. Yeah, yeah. And and he got a notice saying Today yeah, they closed it for good. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What is he saying about that? Well, it's I mean he he expect he expected that it's coming. Yeah. So he, he's happy actually. <laughs> like yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow! Imagine that. Imagine I mean, like the yeah. we. Imagine how that how widespread that is. And then what's the plan? Like let's just uh, well, close down all the businesses. So yeah, yeah. You know what a fucking mess. Th- there's yeah. certainly not yeah. enough people who can reopen these businesses that will 
yeah, with the, but the Basij guys yeah, are going to exactly. open Shia's Dad's Cafe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, what is the plan? It's just I mean, it's just they, kill sure and shut things down. Either. No, they, it's no a way. disaster, and the economy's already, you know, in the tank. I mean, <sighs> what? turmoil. Yeah. Have Have you heard the news that the regime, uh, head of regime, they're trying to buy some, uh, like. The Venezuela thing. Yes, <laughs> they're trying to they yeah. have an exit plan to Venezuela. Yes. Yeah, I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to bring that up today because I, <laughs> you yeah, don't these uh, things. You're not sure of yeah. where they're coming from. You know, I don't doubt that uh, there was a a, a media outlet that was reporting it, and I'm sure they have some sources. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, yeah, I just I seems a little a little little optimistic. I mean, you know. I mean, I'm uh, sure they have some sort of an exit plan, but whether it's being implemented yet or not, I mean, th- it is. Regime, it is a question that comes up. What happens to all these people, these ayatollahs, and you know, where do they go, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and pff, would seem Venezuela would seem like one of the willing one partners the willing, if yeah. you were going to yeah. dream up. It's got to be part of the big six, right? That That's right. voted no at the uh, China. The list of shame. Russia, yeah. <laughs> uh, Venezuela was on that list. Um, Last couple of days, I guess the other thing yesterday, there was um, a fair bit of number of people sharing the Time magazine mm-hmm. cover. Yeah, uh, it wasn't Person of the Year, but it was. Uh, they Heroes. have another category, a subcategory called Heroes of the Year, that uh, at least felt like some recognition mm-hmm. for um, women of the women of Iran were the heroes of the year. Yeah, there is some controversy around. Yeah, I was going to actually mention that because the the writer of the author of the article is a kind of a Nayak related person and so uh, it's not it the the article is not so uh, you know empowering you know mm. it's just the photo so that yeah that's what I've heard see I even have a problem with the photo okay so I'm, I'm about to go on a, a bit of a rant here okay. about this this time magazine but didn't situation. you share the time magazine? I did I thought I saw, I I saw it on your Instagram no, yeah. no no here's the thing I shared it and the reason I shared it is because I think a lot of people who may not be living and breathing this every single second if they see the time magazine logo and they see something about iran it might capture their attention a little bit more so for that purpose i shared it and i think it's important that we continue to share it because at this point i think any awareness on the situation eyes on iran that whole theory is great okay but i do have some problems with this whole time magazine cover but you don't think any awareness is good because you didn't think that the the morality police story on the no but i mean that that was that to me is fake news okay so right. <laughs> i'm not going to share something that i know is is incorrect yeah. but um th- this situation with with time magazine first of all i have an issue with the author of course i mean could time magazine not have picked anyone better like shia said there's definitely some controversy surrounding this author i mean we know that she's been an apologist for the regime we know that there's been a lot of reformist talk coming from her in the previous years there's been incidents you know prior to this whole revolution where people have said you know she's um doing pr for the regime as as we mentioned you know a couple days ago so the author i have an issue with um the article itself questionable i mean the author spent more time talking about the fact that you know the youth in Iran are leading double lives instead of focusing on why it is that they're mm. leading double lives. And I mean, where's the outrage on everything that's happening? The executions, the brutality, the, uh. the torture, all of that. I mean, where was that in the article? And then the photo, I mean, there's a million photos in the last couple of months where they have literally stopped me in my tracks and I'm living and breathing this every single day. There wasn't a better photo that they could have come up with to put on. I mean, 
you know, not to discredit the fact that, again, this is awareness and I appreciate that, but for God's sake, it's Time Magazine. They couldn't do an ounce more research. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I hear all of what you're saying, but, um, uh, and I, I also thought it was disappointing that they, mm-hmm. that you, you, women of Iran were not the person of the year because yeah. that's actually the big, the big thing. And exactly. This felt like a consolation prize to a certain extent right. uh, because everyone's waiting for person of the year, and I, I, I don't want to, you know, uh, uh, deflate uh, any excitement around it. But for I think for non-Iranians. There won't be a lot of it won't reach a lot of people mm-hmm. that the heroes designation doesn't. It's everybody's waiting for the person of the year, and yeah. the Zelensky news was everywhere yesterday that that's the the big time person of the year. But but just to to push back on you, I mean, all of the things you said about the writer and this uh, does that really make a difference? I mean, the only thing that really mattered was that I mean, people weren't even sharing the article. I think they were just sharing the look. Yeah, there's there's it looks like a cover with. The women of Iran yeah. on it, and this is a kudos to them. And that's exactly them, why and, I know. shared it because yeah. for that purpose, I think it's great to associate the fact that you know, Iranian women have been named shout out to heroes. the bravery, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, that yeah. that aspect of it, I definitely appreciate, and that's exactly why I shared it on my personal yeah. Instagram page. But I think there's issues with this. I mean, it goes back to you know the whole conversation around investigative journalism and the ethics behind journalism, and why is it that someone like this author who is clearly not the voice of Iranians is representing Iranians well, in a magazine like Because the Time. argument would be that those are the people who've had the jobs and, and have been, you know, the people who are associating with those. I mean, that's the whole, the whole objection to some of the reformists and these big organizations mm-hmm. and stuff like that has been that they have had the ear of the major media yeah. and, and, and even policymakers, you know, that they've been in those corridors. And so it's natural that, you know. I mean, I, 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 I hear you, but I also can't imagine that, you know, Time magazine has not Is this not a heard controversy for anybody but us? For you? <laughs> I mean, is anybody worth talking about this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all over. Yeah. Okay, oh, okay, yeah, okay. for sure. But what I was saying is, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, but mm. I would imagine that an institution like Time Magazine, for example, is a yeah, little stop bit imagining that. clued in I to mean, the fact that, you know. Look you know, at the New York Times. I mean, it, this is, that. Uh, that's where, again, not to rehash our conversation yeah. about Monday, but there's an agenda there. Right? Well, that's the thing. Then it takes me to all sorts of conspiracy theories yeah. and why and... Yeah. Uh, and the other thing was the 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 story about students being poisoned. Mm-hmm. I don't know if is that in the category of Venezuela as well. I'm not <laughs> sure if that's um, something. There's there's more reports about that. I mean, again, it's so difficult to confirm the information coming out of Iran just because of access to information and ability to confirm it and all of that. But there definitely was numerous reports of upwards of 1,200 students who had been quote-unquote food poison yeah so um two of the universities it derailed a whole protest right because they were all yeah. able so to it happened it. the night before um day of the student which was the 7th of december i believe mm-hmm. um and so on the night of the 6th i guess um the two universities who first reported kind of a huge outbreak was um Khorazmi University, if I'm pronouncing yes, it correct, and yes. Arak University. Um, but there are reports of at least four other universities with similar symptoms from their students. And so the students were saying, and I mean, there's videos, viral videos of like their trays of food and things like that yeah, all, so, on, yeah. all on the uh, the floor and whatnot. And they're, they're saying that the food must have been poisoned. The universities sent out a statement saying that it was due to a bacteria in water. So, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where how timely that 1,200 students all get food poisoning the yeah. night before one of the biggest demonstrations. Yes, who knows? 
I mean, it, it. The thing is, is that any outlandish theory is is not too outlandish mm-hmm. to be entertained with this regime. Yeah, yeah. that's the problem. <laughs> Normally, you go, "Come on," you know, like somebody would say something. Uh, uh, it's like a, spotting a UFO or something, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, but this is like, well, uh, yeah, yeah. it might. Yeah, yeah. There, there's I mean, no they way to kill the guy for nothing, you know. So, um, are you following? I want to change this. Yes, are you following the um, World Cup? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, the music students from Iran that they they like weekly anonymously they release one song mm-hmm. oh somebody was telling me about someone that someone shared a video it's with really me i saw that sweet and like they're they're covering in each video they're covering their face and their latest song i really like i know if you heard this that's so cool so they're doing that that did they does that did they write that or is that a yeah they yeah. they write and, yeah. and and they're doing that sort of subversively and then putting yes. it out there yes and like weekly they're doing that's it. so mm-hmm. cool yeah. the latest video is they're, they're holding so brave you know because they're they're living in Tehran they're going every day to the, the uh, like to the university right. but they're doing this it's really amazing so. is it the one that they're holding um like a black book in front of their face is that the latest yeah, video it's in a very very dark yeah. place yeah, yeah. Right. I've seen that. Uh, thank you. Thanks for the, uh, the, the uh, no, I'm really thank you for bringing that up and thank you to both of you for our, uh, our round table. Thank and uh, let's get to our first guest. We've got great guests coming up. Uh, Bahador Alast is coming up in the studio in just a bit. Uh, Helia Bander from the north of Germany will be joining us. But first, my first guest today is a psychologist and psychoanalyst well known for her popular social media presence, including her Instagram channel Insight with Tina Parsa. Tina Parsa Man has built a large following in Iran and around the world for her online therapy and perspectives. Uh, and of course, in, in light of the recent events in Iran, Tina has been working actively to produce helpful content about the revolution. And right now, Tina Parsa joins me from Los Angeles, California today. Hello. Hi. Hi, Jianjun. I was going to say a psychologist for um, a long time, but uh, more of a human rights activist right now. Right. The past yeah. few months, I haven't been in the world of psychology anymore. Well, human human rights activists. I mean, to read your posts <laughs> that brings that that psychological uh, analysis to things. I mean, first of all, it's great to have you back on the program. I, I did notice that you Thank just you. posted about the the first official, you know, official uh, executing of a protester uh, simply for you know, protesting uh, in Iran, Mohsen Shakari. Um, t- tell me how you're processing that news today, Tina. Um, uh, well, uh, I think with, um, just like many other Iranians, it's been very difficult. I mean, you wake up every morning, especially us in the U.S. and Canada, um, you know, our days and nights are different. So you wake up in the morning and you're, quickly want to go into your phone and see what's going on and seeing all this news it's um uh, for me even as a psychologist with all the techniques and all the work i've done on myself it's been very very difficult to handle uh so yeah it's it was um very sad uh, you know very difficult to process um 
And um, but I know why they're doing it, you know, to produce fear, to produce more fear. Um, um, and fear is uh, what they have used for 43 years to control the people of Iran, to rule and to lead. And so they are just uh, carrying on producing that fear. And um, it's sad that we have to be subject to that. And um, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, one of the things that I've been talking about uh, is, uh, you know, so far on the show is that there's no pretense anymore. They're not giving any. Re- I mean, it, it used to be even a couple of months ago, it was, well, Masa Amini had a heart condition or this guy was, you know, they were responding on in the moment on in self-defense. That's why or the or the kid got hit by a spray, uh, you know, a, a, a bullet that wasn't meant to, to hit him. Uh, this is now if you protest, if you disagree with us, we will execute you. Uh, that feels exactly. like it feels like a next level kind of move. And it really um puts to I, I guess maybe puts to shame the, the, the those folks who've been um, uh, you know that that news from uh, three or four weeks ago when they were saying no 15,000 people will not be executed and people who have propagated an idea that this is a regime that somehow you can deal with um, that that hopefully that ship has sailed at this point yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, you know I think there's uh, they don't have diplomacy, obviously, and uh, like um, uh, different people are saying different things. But I think they are trying to. Um, they have different approaches to two different groups of Iranians. So they have their followers, whom they're trying to show. You know, you know, we're not that bad, and uh, like, we are giving uh, people their rights and blah blah blah, uh, with all their propaganda on the uh, Iranian media. Um, you know, um, not accepting that they were responsible for all these deaths for Mahsa and all the others. And then they have these people that are against them and they very brutally um, uh, treat them just to produce fear, as I said, just to produce fear and just to make those people scared to take um, any more action. And that's what I want to talk about today, actually, um, how fear is used to control us. I think it's very important to uh, acknowledge and realize this at this point. Um, and uh, I want to go into the psychological effect of fear on us. And uh, yeah, well, I think well, well, let's be, let's uh, do that. Let, let's do that. Because, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, what comes to mind is that um, you're absolutely right that 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 the 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 tactic of this regime for 43 years has been uh, to scare the shit out of the population enough to be able to rule with an iron fist. Um, mm. It's not particularly unique. It's it's a hallmark of totalitarian regimes and dictatorships, and it's exactly. certainly been this one. The conversation around this that's changed in the last three months is that seemingly those fear tactics haven't worked. The same stuff that they did in Aubon, even as recent as three years ago, hasn't worked. That the that the revolution continues. That the young girls and boys and women and men who keep going out in the streets still, those students keep keep having those demonstrations. Is the fear working this time? Exactly. So that, yeah, that's what I actually want to go into. Um, so it seems pretty simple. Like we all know if you scare someone of doing something, they 
probably won't do it, but um, I want to go a little bit deeper to understand that fear and then go into why is it that the people are fearless now and they're, they have gone past that fear. So let me start. I just want to start with um, a little bit of like uh, psychological facts about how fear works. So we all know, let's look at our um, biological reaction to fear. So when we are put in a situation where uh, fear is produced, for example, imagine if a dangerous animal is chasing us or where uh, or if we are in an earthquake right so that's producing fear what happens in our body is our body starts to inhibit or suppress all our body desires so it suppresses our hunger our sexual desire our need to sleep right so all all the body needs are suppressed and all our energy is put towards um survival uh, or in other words, all our energy is put towards any action that is going to keep us safe, right? Sure. So our, our psychological reaction to fear is also the same. You produce fear, what's going to happen in, in a person is all their psychological desires are going to be suppressed. Okay. So uh, their desire to uh, live the lifestyle they wish, they, uh, their desire to self-actualize, to follow their hearts, to follow their dreams, to follow their goals, their values, their meanings in life. So all of that is suppressed. So you, one, when you produce fear, people move into this defensive um, sort of state. And in this defensive state, people just want to keep safe. They, they no longer value their, desi their desires. They no longer hmm. um, have um, uh, higher sort of uh, needs they only they only want to satisfy their basic needs so what the government has done during the past 43 years is to produce this fear why do you think every friday at the uh, friday prayers um instead of um talking about like uh, love and unity and peace all they talk all they promote is this fear death to this death death to israel death to the u.s and all of this is to remind people that there's an enemy, right. an enemy who wants war with you, who wants to take over your land and resources, who wants the country segregated. And you're reminded this every single Friday. You, people may not realize this, but this has very, very deep uh, unconscious uh, effects. So having produced that fear, then what they convey is that the only way to um, accomplish safety is to conform to the dictator, uh, to the dictatorship, to the regime. Um, also, if you want to take another path and protest, you face another fear, fear of execution. What, what we see right now, you know, this execution is for them to produce more fear. Fear of execution, fear of being uh, imprison imprisoned, tortured, raped, and all of that. So again, to become safe, to survive, you need to conform again to the dictatorship. Right. So basically, um, having, having worked with Iranians for so many years, I can see this very, very deep fear I would say in all of us mm. in different de degrees and it has taken 
different uh, shapes and forms, but it, it exists. Um, I want to give you some examples so that we understand it more deeply. So for many years, we have seen the society of Iran not having even the most basic things that people have, you know, in, say, Western countries. For example, they work their whole life not being able to even buy a car for themselves. And for a lot of, say, Iranians that have immigrated overseas and have seen you know, the way we can live and when they go back, it's a question for them or even for foreigners, why did people stay quiet for so many years? And that's the, that's the answer. That is people in that defensive state. Sure. When you put people in fear, they move into their defensive state, they suppress their desires to a point they don't even feel those needs anymore. They don't even realize they have those needs anymore. They are happy with the basics. They are happy just to, you know, feed their family and that's it. They don't mm. go beyond that, right? Um, another another um, very common thing you see in our culture is distrust between people. Yes. You know, um, even at this time of the revolution, you say one thing a little bit wrong on your Instagram, you have a thousand people starting to attack you or swear at you or, you know, become very distrustful of you. And that's the result of be, having lived in so many years of fear. Yes. They are defensive, you know. So the, the smallest thing they see, they see it as danger and they think they have to protect themselves from it. And this distrust, and this sense of insecurity we have developed over so many years, what does it affect? It affects our alliance and our unity. You know, what we need for this revolution to, uh, you know, go through is unity. So, so here's the, the, alliance. The, the obvious sort of question. It's a, it's a beautiful preface to, to bring us up to the, this moment. The obvious question is, um, presuming that this revolution has been at the front lines, at least, led by young people, uh, young women and men who were born into this Islamic Republic, you know, who haven't even lived in something other than this, although they do have the tool of the Internet to see how people are living in the rest of the world. How is it that they have achieved this kind of post-fear state to be able to be going out there when previous generations like you and me and others didn't have that same courage Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's very interesting so fear when it uh at uh to some level to some threshold it makes us uh insecure uh it makes us defensive it makes us separated it makes us distrustful of each other um and it makes us divided but if if uh, this fear is increased to an amount where it where there is too much fear, then some people can uh, come out of this fear. Actually, too much fear, I would say, has an opposite effect. Hmm. What happens is if you put too much fear on people for a very long time, especially this very young generation who has uh, grown up in, uh, in, with this fear. Uh, they reach a point where they feel, you know, I have nothing to lose. You know, you put them under so much hardship, they feel like they have nothing to lose anymore. And that is actually human in its highest uh, power. 
in its most strength, where they, uh, you feel like, uh, because what you fear is fear of loss. You fear, uh, fear comes from uh, you being scared of losing things. But when you feel like, you know, this life, in this life I'm living, uh, I don't really have meaningful things that I'm scared of losing. I don't really have values. I don't really, I'm not really, really living the life I want to live. So um, I'm okay. Right. I'm okay to lose everything. And that gives you power. That actually, that actually makes you empowered to fight back. And I think that is what's happening to the uh, young generation. They're willing to give up everything for them to come out of the state. That's a uh, it's it's a great analysis and it's um, really helpful. How do we how do we Tina how do we avoid the normalization of the level of um, brutality and atrocities that this regime is is um, overseeing? I mean, uh, you know, this is to a certain extent. You, I see this in in all kinds of ways as a. Uh, as, a, as an Iranian who grew up outside of Iran, you know, when things will be a shock to me that will not be a shock to somebody who grew up inside Iran, where I'll sort of go, exactly. you, you couldn't play your guitar? You know, and they'll say, of course not. What do you mean? You know, but in a moment like this, like my, my greatest fear, for example, today, today with the, the execution of Mohsen Shekhari, is that the regime will begin to do this with such regularity that we lose the context of just how outrageous this is, just how insane this is, because the the atrocities pile up so much that you just kind of write it off as yeah, well that's a um, to which to a certain extent to which I think the West already does that where that where it's like well that's Iran we know these things happen what are we gonna how are we gonna be able to help that situation how do we avoid that normalization. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think the Iranians abroad could play a huge role in this, as we have so far, you know, um, by, you know, posting things, by talking about this on your social media, by talking about how life could be outside of that and that that it, it is not okay. So what I've been doing on my own page is, um, I've asked my followers to send, uh, for example, um, stories in form of voices uh, from like what they experience, the uh, suppression they experience, for example, in Islamic schools or in the society. Or uh, So these stories need to be told. And when they are told, when we hear them again, that's it's sort of what happens in therapy as well. When you hear what is happening again, with awareness, then you realize, hey, this is not okay, you know. Um, so I think it's, first of all, it's very important to acknowledge that it is not okay. It's very important to um, raise awareness about these stories, you know, make these voices be heard by the international society and by, uh, you know, the Iranians abroad. Um, and yeah, I think, all we can do, all we can do as um, Iranians abroad, is to help those people uh, realize realize that life could be different. Um, you know, but uh, being being in that country, even for myself, living there for like the past ten years, um, that does happen to you because it just is part of 
uh, normal life. Um, so it does happen to you where you just uh, get used to it. You don't see yeah. it anymore. Yeah. Uh, but I think things are things are changing because uh, of social media, because of you know all of this awareness, and people are realizing now. Like when I was posting these stories on my Instagram page, people would come and say, you know, now that I've heard these stories of other people and what they went through and how it has it has affected them as adults now, now I realize I had similar experiences, and now I'm uh, seeing that. That could have affected me. You know, I'm acknowledging my own pain. Tell me about your own relationship with fear. Um, I should note that you're in California right now. People are hearing that you're in Los Angeles, but you have been in Iran, as you say, for, for the last 10 years. In fact, you were you, you grew up uh, mostly in New Zealand and you decided to, to move back to Iran. Um, and as it, it just as it, as it turns out, that circumstantially, you happen to be in the United States when all of this happened. You have been speaking out. Um, you've, you've, I guess, received some warnings and threats. Tell me how you deal with your own fear as somebody who's quite um, well-known in the online space, speaking out as much as you are. Mm-hmm. Um, good question, because, you know, um, I was actually wanting to address this um, because people like still living in Iran, uh, some of them are very skeptical of us abroad. You know, I didn't decide to come out of Iran during this time. I actually really wished I was there. I uh, was traveling before, um, so I was out of Iran before all of this happened. Then I had my ticket to go back, and then I was told, you know, they are looking for me. I was threatened, so I thought, I'm okay to go back even if I'm, in, uh, if I'm even put in prison and all of that. But the only reason I'm not going back is I think if I do go back and if I am imprisoned, I can't do what I'm doing no. now. I can't raise that awareness. So, you know, that's one more person lost to the regime. Right. So right. that's the only reason. Um, and I want to acknowledge this for those people living in Iran and they think, oh, these people, you know, abroad, they are um, telling us to make change, uh, but they are in safety and we are putting ourselves uh, under threat. But the truth is, um, we are also placed under a lot of fear. Um, I think for all of us, it's more difficult if something bad happens to your family than if it happens to yourself. So I do have uh, family there. I do have assets there. I do have things that I also um, are meaningful to me. I've also worked very hard for. I also care about. And I am putting all of that... Uh, aside for the future of Iran because that is very meaningful. I'm willing to even, you know, uh, a couple of nights ago I was just standing under the mirror uh, washing my hands that night before going to bed and I, I thought to myself, Tina, how far are you willing to go with this? Mm. And I thought, you know, um, as a therapist, I think my path in life has been to help people uh, to be on their side, to to provide that uh, assistance and I thought to myself you know how many people are you going to be able to help um, to the day you die you know very few and I am willing to um, risk everything for the future of my mm. people and how do, how do I deal with that with all of that fear with my family being in danger with uh, you know they, they can do all sorts of things too they can have your assets taken away they can do all of that 
how do I deal with it is um, through the meaning it gives me. So it is so meaningful for me to do this that I'm willing to risk everything. Mm-hmm. And through hope through hope in the future. Let me get to the hope you know? piece. Let me get to the hope piece. That's a, I'll, I'll ask you about that before I let you go. But um, I thank you for everything you just said because I really identify with it. It really it really makes sense to me. And, and honestly, uh, it's something I've been saying. There's a, two or three times I've, I've had somebody say, in, in, in particular, some non-Iranians sort of go, well, why are you spending this much time on this? And, and I try to explain them that it's not theoretical. It's actually personal. You know, I'm. I have family there. I. I have a. You know, I'm. I'm. I have a self interest in wanting to do whatever I can to try and change change things there. Um, and so I. I hear you. T- tell me about how. We've been having this conversation about the. I mean, I, I. I have to exploit you as a psychologist at some point in this interview beyond fear. So, um, you know, we've been talking about this this idea of the the psychological and emotional implications of this doom scrolling that we all do 24/7 waking up in the middle of the night checking our instagram checking our twitter seeing you know what's the latest who and waking up to news like today somebody's been executed uh, and, and a bunch more people have been rounded up this is what's happening here's a child and a, a graphic image of a child that's with with wounds all over her body um how do you prescribe uh, us dealing with that in order to escape our own um, um, succumbing to, to trauma? Jean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, I was actually um, thinking about this myself, and um, it has also been a lot of pressure for me personally as well, you know, but even though we are psychologists, but we're human and, uh, you know, it is also difficult for us. And what I said to myself, you know, okay, I realize, give yourself some time, some, uh, you know, some time off during the day um, to recover because we need to go on, you know, this this could take a very long time and we need to survive for that to, you know, proceed forward. But uh, another thing I told myself was, you know, um, I was worried. I'm 24-7 on my phone. I'm always, like, writing posts only on this uh, subject. All I talk about, I see my friends, I talk to my family. All I talk about is this, uh, what's going on in Iran. And uh, to some point, I was like, you know, you shouldn't do this. This is taking over your life. And then at some point, I said to myself, you know, this should be your life at this point. This, this, you contributing your whole life to this, and so many other people doing it as well, um, should be in that way um, for this to go through, for this to proceed. So um, I value, you know, I think we should value ourselves for doing this, for putting so much energy into this, and um, get meaning out of it. I mean, what what can drive you forward, I guess, is uh, the meaning you find uh, out of it. You know, when I see all of this, uh, when I see, hear good news, or when I hear even bad news, it makes me more motivated. I'm Mm. like, Tina, you are on the right path. You are doing what you should be doing. And I think we should all tell ourselves this every day, every day. And we should acknowledge the great job we are doing because as Iranians abroad we could just get on with our life not care and 
it takes very compassionate people to do this and I think we should acknowledge how much Tina even though you've been there for the last 10 years and you you live in Iran how much given that you're currently in the diaspora you're currently in California how much do you think we those of us outside of Iran can play a role or should play a role in in instructing or you know uh, suggesting the people to the people inside Iran what they should be doing you you've seemed to be active saying get into the streets or you tell people not to shop uh, or to close their stores um, t- tell me about navigating that line between wanting uh, to, to give your opinion but not being inside Iran right now <laughs> I think we should do it you know like because uh, I've talked about this I'm like don't think that the Iranians abroad are not uh, paying a price for this. I am paying a price for this. I am I'm putting myself and my family in danger with everything I'm doing. So I have every right to um, say if they are uh, telling people to go on the streets or close down their businesses for a few days, I have every right to do that because I'm pay- paying the price. And I think a lot of us are paying the price as well you know uh, every single of us well most of us have families there we have uh, things we care about there and um, so you know having having like um, because each one of us is paying that price we have every right to promote these things and it is helping I mean we're not doing it to uh, damage anyone we're not doing it to uh, you know um, for the bad, we're doing it for the good, and um, and even the people in Iran, like most of them, I think the majority are thankful for this. I, I, they they send me these, um, um, they say like Farahan, and they tell me to um, post it for them, and I do it. Yeah, I've seen that. Do you do you have um, friends and family who worry about you and say, "Don't stop posting so much, stop being so outspoken"? Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I do, and uh, I said to them, you know, um, this is this is um, this is the path I've chosen. And when I explained to them the, my love for that land, you know, Jian, I uh, moved away from Iran at uh, I think a very sensitive age. So when I moved away when I was uh, ten, and um, I had so many good memories. My roots were there, and I always had this love. I just felt that was my home and uh, when I went back it was because I wanted to contribute I, I thought you know with all the knowledge and all the experience I've gained in the western world I'm just another person I'm just another another psychologist and there are many many like me but having taken that experience and knowledge back to Iran I could really contribute and that's what I did and uh, so uh, and I said to my dad was uh, a little bit worried and I said to him you know I want to be in service um, I want to go beyond myself and uh, do something for um, not just myself not just for my own uh, you know uh, life and well-being but for my people and it gives me a lot of meaning and they've come to respect it they've come to respect it a lot let me ask you a final question about um, you. I, I stopped you when you when you started talking about hope. I wanted to ask you about about optimism. I know you've. I saw one of your posts about this. Um, wh- where do you feel like we're at, Tina? I mean, it's uh, 
we're almost three months into this um, this uprising, this revolution. Uh, there were national strikes the last uh, three days that were um, impressive in terms of seeing the people power that is the participation rate in Iran around this revolution. At the same time, we're still not seeing millions of people in the streets. Uh, tell me about what you've said is your optimism. I'm 100% optimistic, Gian. I'm actually planning to go back there for uh, Persian New Year's. I'm that optimistic. I'm like, it's going to be over by then and I want to go back to my home. Uh, why am I so optimistic? Because as a psychologist, I can see the growth in the people. And, you know, uh, whoever rules a land, uh, it's uh, they are they are chosen by those people. So if if the society grows, if the society goes beyond um, their um, level of consciousness, or if they um, if they evolve, uh, then previous rulers who um, may have served them in some way um, are no longer able to lead. Right, so I can see that evolution. I can see that growth in our society. So this isn't going to serve them anymore. This isn't going to work for them anymore. So sooner or later, they will have to leave. And I think the international society is also seeing this. So uh, look at uh, the reaction of all these like uh, different countries, of all these celebrities, all these po politicians towards Iran. So this is not the first protest Iranians are having. Right. Um, you know, in Aban, I think like three years ago, uh, with all the protests, 1,500 people were killed, but people didn't end up talking about it. Pol politicians weren't supporting it so much. UN didn't do anything about it yeah. because I think they couldn't see it going anywhere because in, uh, at the end of the day, I think the Western world, uh, they, they would... Um, think about their own benefits and how it could, um, you know, affect them as well. So if they are not 100% sure about this, they wouldn't have supported it. So I think this being, uh, this is different because we are getting all that international support and all that international support is showing us that there are people around the world that are believing in this movement. And that is what's going to help it go through, I think. And by the way, speaking of fear, we were speaking of it from the framework, from the prism of those of us who are supporting the revolution and, and the fear being um, propagated by the by the regime. But um, the Ayatollahs seem pretty scared themselves. I mean, once you start trying to round up and kill children, you're, you seem like you're pretty threatened, aren't you? Exactly, exactly. And you see them uh, saying all these different things. One day they're threatening, uh, threatening the protesters. The next day they're saying, oh, we are so open to hear your voice. And, you know, uh, so all of this conflict in their actions is showing desperation, I think. Tina, it's always good to talk to you. I uh, really appreciate you coming on today. Thanks for the work you're doing and stay in touch. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you. Bye, Tina. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.
thought that never changes remains a stupid lie It's never been quite the same No hearing or breathing, no movement, no colour, just silence This is Rook, episode 222, The Uprising, Say His Name, Mohsen Shikari. For all things Rook-related, by the way, you can go to our website, rookmedia.com. That is where we have all of our episodes of this Uprising series, all of our previous programming and uh, photos, guests, bios, videos, funnies. They're all there at rookmedia.com, where you can also press the Support Us button if you want to become a patron of our show and um, for any amount at all, help uh, us keep bringing this content to you rookmedia.com. My next guest is a well-known Iranian-Canadian based here in Toronto. Bahadur Alast is a full-time engineer and also a prolific YouTuber. His channel, Bahadur Alast, has grown to be one of the most popular channels in the world, focusing on languages and culture with millions of views. Bahadur has been outspoken about the ongoing revolution in Iran in the last 11 weeks and right now. Bahadur Alast joins me live in the Rook studio. Hello, sir. Hi, Gian. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you again. I, I mean, uh, I've, I've seen you more recently because we see each other at demonstrations uh, here in Toronto. You're very active that way, and uh, I guess that's quite important to you to be out on the streets with uh, fellow Iranians. Of course, of course. It's uh, the, whole, the revolution has really impacted all of us. Uh, it's changed uh, so many things. It's changed the way we do. I mean, uh, you mentioned YouTube. I mean, I put my YouTube channel on hold uh, for the past three months. I haven't been active at all on YouTube because all my spare time uh, after work, when I'm not spending the time with my family and with the kids, just goes to uh, bringing awareness, being active, taking part in rallies, doing everything that we can mm. uh, to uh, help the people who are leading the revolution inside Iran. I, I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, I was going to get to it, but I wanted to ask you right now since you brought it up. Uh, you don't just have a YouTube channel. I mean, it's a tremendously successful one. Uh, I know you. you've said before that it's not important to you, the monetizing and all of that, mm -hmm. but it's a, but you know, millions of views, a big audience. It wasn't political. Uh, it wasn't a, sort of a, a, an advocacy site necessarily. Um, there are a lot of influencers who uh, are also doing the things that they used to do or who've returned to doing some of that. Um, tell me about this decision and how difficult it was or not to move away from your regularly scheduled programming and be focusing yourself on the, the revolution. Well, you know, uh, anybody who anybody who's a YouTuber and understands the algorithms of YouTube knows that this will harm the channel. Like if you just kind of break away from it and, and mm -hmm. do nothing, uh, for months, uh, but for me, that's not important. Like, I, I don't really care about that. Uh, YouTube has always been my hobby, my passion, something I do for fun because I love different languages, different cultures, connecting people. But this, what is going on right now, is far, far more important. It's something that um, I'm truly passionate about. And uh, like I said, I, I work full time. So when I'm done work every day, uh, if I'm not spending time with family, uh, whatever spare time is left over, which used to be, oh, you know, I, I have fun as a, as a YouTuber, uh, now it's spent for something that's far, far more important to me. Your audience on YouTube, those 
hundreds of thousands of, of subscribers. They're not just Iranians. So no, how no. did they, I mean, I guess they're used to it at this point now in terms of what you've been posting lately, but how did they react at first to, to you going all revolution all well, the time? Well, I think that's one of the most important parts of this because the overwhelming majority of my followers uh, and audience, um, whether it's on YouTube or Instagram, they're not Iranian. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the posts that I made was about why it's so important for us to relay the message, bring awareness, talk about what's going on inside Iran in English. Mm. Because there's so much of it that happens in, in Persian, it's written in Persian, and, and that's great. I yeah. mean, and there's nothing wrong with that, but we need to do more, uh, we need to speak out in English. We, whatever country, like if someone is in Germany or, or in any country in, in the, the, the native or local language of that place, uh, has to be done more often. And because I have uh, such a large audience that is not Iranian, um, and I post everything in English, uh, I've been able to, you could say, inform and educate many, mm. many people who had no idea about uh, what's going on in Iran, even people who had visited Iran uh, as tourists, because mm. the, the tur tourist experience in Iran is very different. Right. Uh, you know, as, as you know, dictatorships always use tourism as a way, you know, to push their propaganda because they want people to go to Iran. Iran is a wonderful country. You go there, you meet amazing people. Eat great food. Yeah, great yeah. food, so much history, wonderful culture. And you come back and you're like, well, you know, everybody, what's what's the fuss? Uh, Iran's great. Oh, yeah, well, you know, I had to just put on a headscarf when I was there, but that's no big deal. You know, that's how that's how a tourist would look at it, right? And I don't fault them. I don't I don't blame them for that because that's part of the propaganda. But you never really truly understand the, the suffering and the misery of the people unless you're a citizen of the country, right? So this uh, platform and being able to reach so many non-Iranians has been very critical, very important, and it's um, something that we all need to do. Did you lose followers? Probably, but I don't, I've yeah. also gained followers. Yes, yeah. Uh, but I don't really look at it that way. I mean, sure, yeah, there were there were quite a few I people. I know it's actually. not your priority, I'm just curious. No, no, but yeah, I mean, there are, there were, there have been many people, um, I mean, they follow the channel because they, you know, like languages or whatever, right? And some of them happen to be supporters of the Islamic Republic regime, oh. uh, not not Iranians, right? Um, from different countries, uh, and a lot of them have written really, you know, awful things, saying, oh, you know, you know, the typical yeah, uh, yeah. propaganda that the, yeah. that the regime uses, anyways. So. Um, it's I always interesting when there's fans of the regime from outside of uh, the country. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly, exactly, and and you know. In the past, that used to really, really make me angry. Um, I, I used to respond to such people because they're so misinformed mm. about how horrible this regime is that they don't understand it. They've been deceived, and uh, so I, I couldn't, I couldn't really like handle it because what you, whatever you tell them. But recently, and this really makes me happy, is that a lot of people um, have actually messaged me saying that you know I used to be a supporter of this regime. Not Iranians, right? Mm -hmm. uh, people from like Lebanon or Pakistan or you know, especially like the Shia community mm -hmm. in these countries. Uh, and they say that you kind of opened my eyes to something wow. that I didn't realize. Um, and uh, that, that actually, I'm very glad, very happy yeah. to hear that, right? So I, I always give people the benefit of the doubt. I don't want to get angry when somebody says something like that. I said, okay, look, maybe you don't understand. Let me try to mm. inform you. Let me try to educate you. And if I see that 
this is not going anywhere, then I'm not going to waste my time. But I try to uh, give people the benefit of doubt and try to educate them. And I think it's very important for us to, to do that with people who are not from Iran so they can truly understand our struggle. Mm. You, I, I really like what you, a lot of what you do on um, social media is you, you post um, sometimes long screeds, you know, but, <laughs> but, you, but you seem to put um, an emphasis on wanting to educate. You write, you try and give context. This is mm. who this person is. This is what's going on. This is how, and uh, I appreciate that. I mean, I'm, I'm dealing with this stuff 24 seven and I learn from you, some of your posts. Thank and you. uh, let me ask you, first of all, um, a little bit about what's been going on the last couple of days and just your reaction as someone who's been as active as, as you have, because obviously you're consuming the news and the associated emotions that go with it. Right, um, yeah. Tell me about your reaction to the sad news today that I've been talking about so far on the show about the, the this is the first official execution of a protester for protesting, basically uh, doing nothing much at all. This uh, Mohsen Shekhari from yeah. Tehran. How, how are you processing that information? Uh, well, first of all, uh, I really hope that, I mean, this is, this is horrible, this is horrific news, and I hope that all of those uh, so-called uh, journalists and uh, political uh, analysts and commentators in the West who uh, <laughs> for weeks were mocking this whole notion that the Islamic Republic is going to execute uh, so many prisoners, I hope they're paying attention to this. And I hope they realize how much damage they did uh, by calling that false information or fake news yeah. or, or wh whatever nonsense that they were spewing out. Uh, I hope that they pay attention and I hope that some of them come out and say, you know, we were wrong. We made a mistake because this is going to keep going. And, and you know, there other people have been executed in, in the past yep. few weeks as well. Yeah. Um, we're not we're not getting the full story. There's there's so much more that's yeah. going on, uh, and not to mention the the torture and the, the rape and what's going on. Um, well, the funny thing about other people being executed is that they they at least usually come up with a pretense. They come up with a, a reason. They come up with some you know a bullshit you know false accusation yeah. or something. In this case, I, I mean, it, it really we're yeah. really go going to that place now where it's just like basically if you of oppose course. us, we're going to execute you. No trial, no yeah. lawyer, you know, no, you know. This, this is the problem with uh, a lot of people out there who don't understand that the Islamic Republic regime is not a normal government. They think that, oh, you know, we can um, talk to them and negotiate with them. And no, it doesn't work like that. This, this is a, a dictatorship that believes it's... Um, its dictator is the representative of God on earth. So if you oppose uh, this lunatic, then you're opposing God. Hmm. And based on their uh, system, that's punishable by death, right? So it sounds outrageous to any normal person, but to them, that's how it works. And that's, that's how they justify executing someone like Mohsen. Because to me, he's a hero. This is a, this is a brave, very courageous person uh, who was out there risking his life, fighting for freedom. And he was arrested for defending others. You know, he, 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 he basically saved other people's lives. And for that, he was... How did he do that? Well, he was blocking the street mm -hmm. and... Uh, you know, injuring uh, one of these basijis, mm -hmm. who th these basijis are out there to literally kill people, mm -hmm. to to beat people, and um, so he injured 
So they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. as as they, as they claim, as if that is a bad thing. No, it's it's called self-defense. It's called saving other people, you know. And this is one of the things that I, I, I really get uh, angry about sometimes is when someone uh, who's not Iranian, who's not aware of what's going on, and they say, oh, why are the protesters, why aren't they peaceful, you know? Why are they uh, attacking or why are they doing this? Well, what do you want them to do? They're getting slaughtered. They're getting killed. Yeah, They're getting yeah, beaten yeah. up and armed they, with stones in most yeah, cases. They've they, got they nothing. Don't even, yet. They're, they're unarmed. They yeah. don't have weapons. Uh, they have to fight back. Um, so yeah, that's that's the other thing. And but but back to what we were saying, Mohsen is uh, to me, and he he's a hero. He is someone. His name will be remembered. Will will uh, definitely definitely need to. Uh, speak out more about this and uh, not let this regime get away with this because uh, they've executed so many innocent people in the past and they have no problem doing it. When, when you talk about your frustrations with um, uh, certain narratives uh, uh, amongst non-Iranians or, or some Iranians of in the course, diaspora yes. about this regime and how you can deal with them or, or um, you know, reform, etc. You, it's been seemingly very important to you uh, based on someone who follows you and knows you to to call out people in the in the diaspora who uh, who you see and many of us see as enablers of the regime yeah. uh, especially reformist groups like Nyack and and you certain writers for the New York Times why why has it been somewhere that you feel is is uh, worthy of your energy to to be spending time calling them out the problem is, as and this goes back to what I was saying about writing things in English. The problem is uh, these mouthpieces of the regime present themselves as progressives in the West, and they uh, cater to a, a liberal Western audience. So, and they present themselves in a way that appeals to a large group of people in the West who who don't know what's going on. They don't know. Uh, so these these people will hijack the narrative and uh, they basically act as mouthpieces mm. of the Islamic Republic. Mm. Uh, not blatantly saying that they support the regime, but they will they know they will use words that sound nice like mm. diplomacy and uh, being against the war and uh, you know oh, you know they, they have their ways of, of appealing to uh, their Western audience. So but if we don't uh, fight back against that uh, and if we don't counter their propaganda and their lies with facts yeah. in English then they're going to keep hijacking the narrative uh, as they've done in the past yeah. but I'm very happy to see that these days uh, they've most of them you know the ones that have been very active they've been ex exposed and people know they know their their track record. Yeah, although the, the, the a certain New York Times writer was back on the weekend with a peddling mm -hmm. a story that um, that the the issue for me is that there's such a delta between what the what Iranians know about what's going on in Iran, including Iranians in the diaspora, uh, partly because they're on the Persian Twitter, etc., uh, or talking to each other, and what Westerners and non-Iranians think, even those who are well-intentioned. You know, mm -hmm. um, like like John Stewart, who will tweet, uh, yeah. "Isn't look at these brave 
football players who are not singing the anthem. Yeah. And we all know that there's a lot of layers of nuance underneath that that doesn't make that as brave as we th- as exactly. John Stewart thinks it is. Or, um, you know, we had on Monday's show, Shia was telling the story about how based on that story on the weekend about uh, the morality police being disbanded and all of that fake news, but also mm. pr- propaganda, I would I would go so far as to say. Shia was saying that um, a friend of his, a non-Iranian, called from Vancouver and said, congratulations, you know, looks like you guys have, I mean, as if there's 20 things wrong mm. with that, desperately wrong, you know, as if the revolution is only about morality police and as if this actually happened and as if the, re- the regime is reformable and all of that. But it all leads to somewhat uh, uh, partly because of the the mouthpieces as you say to a real difference of 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 knowledge between those who are following every day who are in the Iranian community and those who aren't uh, who are in the West even if they are well-meaning even if they mm-hmm. want to support the the people of Iran etc what do we do about that it, that's exactly the case with myself you know I uh, over the weekend I remember I got so many messages from people you know these are some of them subscribers to my YouTube channel, participants in my channel, people from like Portugal, from South Korea, from uh, from Brazil, from all these different countries, sending me messages saying, "Oh, look at this wonderful news! I'm so happy to see that uh, it's over." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. You, you know, yeah. this is this, this this. Have you seen this successful? You know, and and I was so uh, upset. You know, when I was when I was reading it, I was like, "What is wrong?" What, what's wrong with them? Why would yeah. they? Why would they? First of all, spread this. You know, and and it's so uh, frustrating when you read these other articles. Um, you know, for instance, from India, where you know the person means well, and the title says uh, "Success in the Anti-Hijab Protests," and I, it, the title itself is is so right. wrong and right. and so misleading. Right? I mean, they they. There are still so many people who don't understand that people in Iran are not fighting against the hijab. A, a small, small part of this revolution is against the discriminatory law that forces the hijab uh, on on all women. Yeah. Right? It's not a fight against hijab. It's, it's not a fight against Islam. There are conservative well, that, that is a religious. Big, that is a big yeah, part exactly. of it. Exactly. Uh, that is a big part of it, and yeah. obviously very important for um, uh, women who are leading the revolution to, exactly. to be saying, right. "Don't." Don't tell us how to how to dress, but Absolutely. but those same women are telling us regularly. There's so much more that they're fighting there's for. There's so that, much yeah, more. Yeah. There's so much more that the, the crimes of this regime and and you know, for instance, the uh, Time magazine article uh, that that uh, or or naming the Iranian yeah. women as um, the heroes. You know, yeah. the heroes, right? The title is is wonderful. It's well deserved, uh, but there's so much else that's wrong with it. The article itself. Um, and and the picture that was used, the picture is you know something that looks like it was photograph you know like someone went to like a studio and took a photograph right, where when whereas you have so many uh, pictures of actual events like like women on the streets fighting holding rocks in their hands standing up to okay. these uh, uh, you know basijis and repressive forces of the the regime and so many so many ways to um, you know, portray and show the the, the bravery yeah. of the women of Iran, uh, and then the article itself is just really, really downplaying the crimes of the regime. And so I was very excited at first, but then when I read the article, it was very disappointing. Until I saw who wrote it, uh, 
the one of these individuals who has a track record of <laughs> lobbying and being a mouthpiece for the Islamic Republic. I mean, I'm not going to label people a certain way. I just ask people to go and look it up themselves. They just have to look at these individuals and their track records. I'm not going to insult anybody. I, I never do that. I'm not going to uh, attack them. You know, some of them claim that these are attacks. No, no, we're, mm. we're, we're just exposing and demonstrating and showing what the individual has said in the past. Uh, so yeah, that the article really downplays uh, the crimes and makes it seem like, oh, this is just some uh, really cool uh, thing that a bunch of young teenage girls have led and this is really great. You know, doesn't talk about how so many women are being uh, arrested and raped in prison. It doesn't talk about the, the horrific crimes being committed by this regime. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, very simplistic, right? It, it doesn't it's, it's one of the, I mean, just to, to, I hear what you're saying on that point, but also it, it, there's, a, there's a conundrum we face, which is that we want the West to give attention or to, to focus the, the eyes of the world on what's going on in Iran. But to be honest, I feel the same somewhat about it. I, I hate to say this because I don't want to take anything away from the, the, the hard work and the agency of those who help create these conditions. But even the UN special session, I sort of go, well, you know, these things get trumpeted as if, um, I, I'm not sure how much the rest of the world counts, cares about them, these things, but Iran, the Iranian community goes, look, the UN special session, the Time magazine cover, and uh, when... Um, those things can almost become a, a prescription for quiescence. It's like, well, mm. yeah. things are being handled. Yeah, don't worry about. It. And the truth is, that, no, things aren't being handled. There's a, a desperate humanitarian crisis. People are being killed and executed. And unless we're all pedal to the metal, mm -hmm. uh, this thing, you know, could could go askew in some way. I don't think it's gonna. The genie's gonna go back in the bottle at this point, but. But uh, these are perilous times. These are difficult times. So, so um, that's and at the same time, we appreciate the UN special session. Or mm -hmm. okay, good recognition from Time magazine, and in principle, a great thing. You know, uh, it's it's confusing to try to um, to untangle all of that. Mm, yeah, and and that's why I always say, uh, you know, there there are only two sides in this battle. There's the side that is actively working whether it's inside Iran, outside Iran, to overthrow the Islamic Republic regime. And then there's the other side, which will act as if like they're against the regime, but they'll never say, you know, they want that regime gone. Uh, they'll, they'll never, you know, they, they always talk about whether they're talking about reforms or whether they're talking about how we should give them a chance or how we should uh, have diplomacy and, and talk and whatever the case may be. I'm, I'm going to be very, very honest about this, but those people are not on the right side. There is, there is no diplomacy. There's no talking with, with this barbaric dictatorship. It's not going to get anywhere. And if by this point, after 43 years, mm. people haven't realized that, they're either siding with the regime or they're very, very naive. Mm. Uh, I don't fault people who are not aware of what's going on. They've been deceived, they've been lied to, they've been fed so much propaganda. So we, we should educate those people. But the ones who have been active, the ones, especially people from Iran, 
who who still you know push this reform narrative uh, I, I I just can't you know I can't seem to put it any other way uh, to me they are they are apologists for the Islamic Republic Bahadur, you have an interesting perspective because the last time you were on the show and we did the the profile interview on you you talked about the fact that you have in your family or extended family um, some very religious folks in, yeah. in Iran. Um, I'm curious to hear, I don't know if you're in touch with them, what, what their yeah. perspective is right now and what your perspective is, you know, uh, being part of that family and, and what you, not just what you're understanding about the mechanics of of the way de- the way decisions are justified in Iran today, but what you could see is a possibility of a new Iran um, that where folks who are religious somehow coexist. Mm. Yes. Uh, so my uh, relatives are quite religious, aunts and uncles. Um, uh, on my father's side, I had, uh, I, I say I had because one of them passed away. I had three uncles who were clerics, mahuns. Um, one of them passed away, two are still uh, alive, and one aunt who's married to one. Uh, and uh, one of my uncles is actually uh, employed by the Islamic Republic. Wow. Um, he As a, and he's a mullah. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He is, and uh, I'm going to be quite honest, he has never worked in his life. And this is, what, this is one of the things that a lot of people don't realize. He's never worked in his life. He's never done anything. He, but he is very rich. He has lots of money. And what's his job? Nothing. It's not a real job. If you are a mullah, if you're a cleric in Iran, you just get paid for that, for, for doing nothing. For, uh, but he uh, actually works for the regime. He, um, he was a, a spy in, in Albania. And you can go look up his name. This is not like uh, some secret mm. information. Like there are articles about this where he, the, the Albanian government kicked him out of the country because he was there as a, as a diplomat, right? Like hiding you know, uh, what he was actually doing. And they, they kicked him out of the country. Um, so, and I have another uncle who uh, I, I have a lot of conversations with, uh, who's who's a cleric, and uh, he says that oh, I'm not a political person, and I'm just religious, and we, we debate about this, and mm. and uh, you know, does I, the first uncle know? Has <laughs> he seen you on social media? I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I, I he doesn't follow me yeah, on yeah, social yeah, media, right, but right. I I am sure my cousins relay the message to him. Mm. Uh, who do see him, and um, al- almost all of my cousins, his own son. Is is against him? Wow! Like his own son is, his dad has so much money because he's one of the. But his son and I and I'm very proud of him. He chose to take his own path and he is working hard for Meaning a living. Your cousin? Yeah, my cousin. Uh, he's in Iran. He's in Iran. Yeah. Um, he just he chose to not follow his dad, which he could have. He could have easily just done the same thing and had lots of money right now, but. Um, but he didn't. Uh, so, you know, within these families, like that's what a lot of people maybe on the outside don't realize. Even within these uh, regime insiders and uh, agents of the regime, there are Khamenei's own sister yeah, and, and, and niece, niece, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's that's uh, that's a very important point as well. What what do you what do you do you believe that? There can be, a new, knowing these members of your family, 
what do you believe happens after this revolution Honestly, that we're all hoping for? I, you can you can mark my word. Uh, when the Islamic Republic regime falls, a lot of people who are supposedly on the side of the regime will quickly switch sides because they're only doing this for their own self-interest. They're only doing it because they benefit. It's not a... It's not ha- religious fidelity. No, no. Like even, even among religious people, people, people really overestimate how much actual ideological true support Khamenei actually has. It, it's not that much. A lot of the people who are even out on the streets beating and killing people, they they are doing it for the money. They're doing it for the benefits that they get. And I know it sounds awful, but this is what's going to happen. You know, the same thing happened when, when other dictatorships collapsed throughout history uh, where people who were fighting for them come out and said, oh, no, no, we, we didn't, like, we were forced to or we didn't want to or uh, some of them will just quickly change themselves, you know, that mm. whether it be their names or whatever, the ones who are higher up, they'll run away uh, to go to another country, wh- whatever the case may be. I'm just saying that you, you're going to see so much of this um, because so many of them know that they're wrong. So many of them know how horrible this regime is, but they're only after their own uh, self-interest. And the same thing will happen with a lot of these regime apologists who, who live in North America. Uh, the way they... Uh, push the narrative and the way they talk about it is so that when the regime falls they can just be like no no we were trying to help the people Mm. uh, you know our only intention was to find a way to stop war and you know they'll they'll have their way of uh, changing what they've been saying throughout uh, you know the past decade or so a final question from your perspective as somebody who's following this stuff interacting with so many people around the world and and posting a lot about what's going on in Iran and has family there who are involved in different ways where, where do you feel like we're at Bahador? I mean with there's these three days of strikes that have just happened depending on which conversation you have with who on what day somebody will try to convince you that this thing is dead nobody's out on the streets nothing's going to happen or somebody will say the revolution is imminent uh, hold on next week they're all going to venezuela so uh, uh, where do you believe things are at well i'm i'm a very optimistic person generally right uh, but i also have to be honest about things like i don't like to overhype and get excited about something here and there but i'm optimistic and what i see i always see the positive in everything these strikes they show the incredible unity of the people. They show that the, the, the people are far, far more united and far um, their numbers are much higher uh, than anybody who wants to side with the regime, right? Uh, but we, we are dealing with a, with a brutal, brutal uh, dictatorship uh, that will... Can I just ask, do they show that? The because, I mean, do the strikes actually show that? I, I don't I don't know the the numbers of stores that closed or well, do they show that the majority is of is, course oh, yeah, yeah absolutely it, you know all throughout the country uh, people are people were united about this uh, you know a lot of people risked uh, you know having their shops and businesses attacked mm. by the the regime um, and they still they still did it they still went for it uh, you know so. There is, you definitely can see the unity uh, between different people from different 
walks of life, different yeah. backgrounds, yeah. whether even whether they're wealthy or they're not, whether they're religious or they're secular, uh, whatever ethnic group they belong to, religious minorities, all, all of that, right? Uh, so you definitely can see the unity. You definitely can sense that too with uh, with their actions, right? Uh, but it's hard for anybody to really predict what's going to happen. Like that, it, like the the regime will fall, but when and um, how and what's going to really be the big trigger point? Those are things that nobody can predict. No. no. Uh, so you know, you look at history, and you, you, you when you look at some of the the biggest empires and biggest uh, uh, you know regimes and dictatorships in the past who have fallen. Sometimes within a few weeks before they collapsed, yeah, pe- people would could and not days have before people thought uh, were predicting uh, it wouldn't yeah, happen. Yeah, e- yeah, exactly. So it's it's very difficult to say oh, what's going to happen, but we have to be optimistic. We have to do what we can and more more importantly uh we can't give up we we need to be the voice of the people inside iran who are silenced who are imprisoned who are beaten and attacked and 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 brutally murdered we have to be there for them Uh, even even if you are a pessimistic person at least for the sake of all the all those who are suffering just give them a voice just share the news and uh be there for them. Even if you don't believe in this, I'm just saying at least be there for those who are suffering. It's always good to have you here. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for taking the time and thanks for the Hassanabashi, all the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You too. Thanks a lot for everything you're doing. Uh, we all appreciate it and uh, Cheers, brother. This dream I'm dreaming Won't you wake me up tonight? Cause this life I'm living doesn't really feel like mine. This strange dream I'm dreaming. If I Never thought you were leaving. I never thought I'd have to start again. This is Rook, episode 222, The Uprising. Say his name, Mohsen Shekhari. Let's go to Germany next. And Helia Bande, she is a visionary dancer, choreographer, performing artist, and researcher who has used her experience and profound knowledge of Persian dance to become a driving force in the development and presentation of Persian classical dance, both inside and outside of Iran. She has been outspoken recently regarding the revolution taking place in Iran and right now. Helia Bande joins me from the north of Germany today. Hello. Hi. Uh, nice to see you again. Nice to have you back, Helia June. I, I, unfortunately, it's, it's less than auspicious cir- circumstances. I, I want to start, as I have been with all the guests today, with the, the sad news that emerged today of the first execution of a protester, you know, a sham trial, no due process, uh, deprived of the right to his, uh, appoint his attorney, Mohsen Shekhari, was executed. Um, 
just just give me your cathartic, your knee-jerk reaction to the news when you heard that today. This is horrifying because we know uh, by this that he will not be the last one because they have many others also in the row that they uh, gave a death sentence, which is uh, just not humanitarian and we have to do something about it. We cannot stand still and accept this as a um, world uh, population, world um, citizens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that's uh, it, it. It is as I've been saying throughout the program. There's no, there's no pretense anymore. Now they're they've they're not pretending anymore. They're just saying we're gonna we're gonna kill people for protesting, which is um, yeah. um, profoundly sad. It, tell tell me about your decision. You were here actually on our program um, a few months back. It was in the spring or the summer, and and you of course talked about some of the. Um, the conditions and suppression of, of your art form, dance in Iran, etc. But you were still traveling in recent years back and forth to Iran. Tell me about your decision in recent months to speak out um, and make your position clear since the killing of Masa Amini. Um, what is happening right now in Iran is unacceptable. Uh, it is not like this that uh, during the past uh, 40 years in Iran was all good and now suddenly in the past three months things changed and the uh, Iranian regime uh, changed and doing these things to, to their people. This is something that built it up uh, bit by bit and, um, and it, it doesn't uh, getting better. And so by uh, unfortunately by what's happened to Mahsa Amini, is actually uh, it was like the um, the fire that could you know that the explosion and the explosion that was uh, actually we could we were waiting for that this is gonna happen because this is uh, something that this what's happening is something that all see is inside of us deep and deep and just we got now the chance to get out and talk about it and protest it and of course how more they gonna suppress us how more people will get out and talk about more protest more and uh, uh, being able to fight back more mm -hmm. so uh, suppression doesn't help in this case Wait, was it i mean there obviously a, a lot of people a lot of us who've made the decision to to speak out which imperils our chances of of visiting iran without being thrown in evin anytime soon um was that a difficult decision for you to make as somebody who has been traveling there um still trying to do workshops around and educate people around dance in recent years uh, no actually not because um I, of course i have still uh, family i have uh, i am i am like any other iranian citizen uh, i am a, a still connected beside my work beside my work that is persian classical dance and is directly actually uh, has a contact with iran um i am also connected with iran but the point is it's impossible to uh, hold your back and it's, it's possible to not saying anything with uh, all due respect i want to say that if somebody decide to not talking about this or not choosing for any other option i think we, we should respect them and that's what i believe 
uh, I, I think this is the first thing about the uh, freedom of speech that everyone should has the right to say something or not to say something. So it's up on them, their choice. And my choice is like, I can't because what's happening in Iran is what's happened to me. What, and what's happening to me is what's happening to all my sisters and brothers and all the other people that live in Iran. So it's nothing different. You know, I, I experience all these things as a young girl, as a teenager, as a, a grown up woman. And all those things that is happening, it happens to me, too. So it's also my pain. Their pain is my pain. So I cannot sit down still and and not even, um, you know, mentioning these things. So that's why I am here also. Hania, I want to actually ask you about, um, uh, you've talked about, um, you, you believe we're in some in danger of losing focus of this revolution and that individualism is important. And I want to get to that. But let me just push back gently on something you just said, just to, to clarify or, um, and not to push back. I mean, I, I'm interested to hear your reasoning behind this because there are a lot of people who would say, no, this isn't the time to uh, allow people to be silent. That that ship has sailed. There's no more sitting on the fence. There's no more silence. That if this revolution is going to take place, everybody has to be on board. And silence is complicity at this point. Um, you're, it's very respectful to say everybody has their right in terms of uh, whether they want to speak out or not. But tell me what you would say to somebody who would say that, that silence is complicity. I think this is the first right of an understanding what freedom means and freedom of speech means. We cannot um, make everybody to think the same, to do the same, to act the same. So that because of that reason, I am not agree that we have to, you know, force everyone to to act ex exactly the same as me. I think everyone in their life has a certain uh, uh, path and certain way of um, and responsibility. And it could be that someone that is sitting uh, completely, you know, uh, quiet here, maybe their brother was already uh, executed in mm -hmm. the beginning of the revolution in the first two, three years as a young boy or their son was executed. So you cannot actually judge anybody about that. You see, it's different thing. Uh, if uh, we know someone is actively against the protest is something else than someone is just passive, not uh, doing anything mm. because that's something else. I don't know what's in the mind of that that family or that person or that uh, artist or whatever. I really believe I should respect because if I'm not going to do this, if uh, I will be... Um, in terms of uh, when I have the democracy, I have the freedom to uh, say what I want to say, mm -hmm. I will also influence the other ones to say exactly what I want to say. So it's going to disappear. Mm. So because of that, I am not agree with that point. It's, it's, interesting. Yeah. it's interesting, you know, it, um, and not to go too far in this direction because, um, frankly, uh, it seems premature to talk about what happens after the revolution, etc., when we're in the middle of things and people are being executed. But, um, but there has been a, a concern raised um, by a few guests that we've had um, in, in recent weeks, and, and I think it's, it's not a 
it's an interesting one, which is, as you say, if we can imagine, let's say this revolution um, is is hopefully successful before too long, because uh, um, to, to before too many more people die. Um, what happens afterwards? It's no one has any qualms about the idea that that the ayatollahs or the people in in, in charge of the regime should be held to account. Um, hopefully, there'll be some sort of um, accountability, whether it's trials or prosecution or whatever it is. But what happens to the person who's in a in a village somewhere in Iran that, or some one of the cities for for that matter, who's um, quietly been going about their business, but actually has been supportive of this regime in general. Um, after the revolution, what do you do with them? Do you do you say, you know, you're not part of society, or you know, we're gonna we're gonna put you in jail, or what? And I think it speaks to your point, which is, um, if you want freedom of expression, then you have to allow people in the society that you're not going to agree with as well, right? Yes, but till certain point, you see, if we will have a imagine, let's say an imaginary situation, after that we had our revolution done and we managed to, you know, um, choose for another government. First of all, in my opinion, it should be uh, another government that the religion will be uh, playing a role. So it should be uh, secularism. So, Separation uh, of church and state. Yeah, church yeah. and state. Yeah. Exactly. If it's if we have that situation and we're gonna choose for that, hopefully, that's my wish. We're gonna choose for that. Then we have to, of course, check and see. Uh, putting our rules, you know, again, our. Um, um, the main institu institutional rules and look at that, that not from the Islamic point of view, but from a democratic point of view and see what do we want to do with every person, who, how many rights they have. We cannot, of course, if there is someone in a village of Iran or anywhere else, because they don't have uh, any political view, they just want to leave because we don't. We have so many people in Iran that just, they want just to live. You know, mm. live their life. Mm. It's not about this regime or another regime. You are. They are not happy, or maybe they are happy because they can earn a, a little bit more money or less uh, money. So it's not about that point. The point is that I think we cannot. Uh, do anything against those people. They are just the population of Iran. The point is that the majority of Iran will decide to have a democratic country and, uh, and, um, and by that making the rules and those people should be able to live also with me that I am against this regime. Yeah. But uh, what we should do with those that they are in the government I don't know. I am. I am not uh, the person that I can talk about those things because I am not. Yeah. Whatever happens, we 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 want accountability at some point. That's the that's the idea. Exactly. For, um, so let me segue into this. Um, the the prime reason for having you on, I think it's a it's a very interesting word, like it's a profound word that you're using, which is individualism, and and you've said you were concerned that. I, I, that we're in danger or that there's a there's a possibility that there's a loss of focus for this revolution especially in the diaspora um, and that this should be about individualism tell me what you mean by individualism uh, you see this uh, I really believe that this revolution and the, all these protests that is going on is not about the uh, any religion or any ideology it's about uh, individualism. People in Iran wants to have individualism. Why? Because individualism means freedom. Freedom means having choices. 
if you don't have any choice you don't have any freedom if you don't have any freedom there is no individualism in the persons so they cannot choose who they want to be what they want to do how they want to act what they want to wear how do you want to talk or anything else so to be able to having that this is why Iranian are fighting for. They are not fighting for to be more dependent to USA or independent from China or USA or Russia or whatever. They want to be able to finally be themselves as they want to be. If they want to wear anything that they like to wear, you know that they will be able to wear it. If they want to sing, be able to sing. If they want to be, you know, be religious and putting a scarf on, being able to putting in a scarf on. So I, uh, uh, and what I am a bit actually worried in the past, um, yeah, time is that maybe the focus is uh, we are uh, losing the focus on actually where it should be because we should not forget what the Iranians wants in Iran Iranians mm. wants in Iran equal rights and that equal rights that is the your right from birth yeah. when you are yeah, um, yeah but Helia John I, I hear I, we, I generally hear a lot of people talking about freedom individual rights basic rights uh, the right to be free to do what you want. Where, what What's an example of something that where you feel like the focus has been lost around that? What What shouldn't we be talking about, if you will? Uh, first of all, I think that we should not be so much uh, dependent of uh, um, asking and for uh, for the help for from the foreigner countries. That's first of all what I think, because what is happening, we should understand that is something that is in Iran, and we should do it by Iran, uh, Iranian people in Iran, and also Iranian people outside of Iran. So this is a revolution from the from the people, not revolution from the. Um, it doesn't have to do with anything with the foreigner politics. Mm. It's not because Iranians are not happy about the foreigner politics. That's why they are doing this revolution. Mm. And they say like, hey, come, Western countries, come, please help us. Because the f one thing that I uh, certainly uh, know for sure is that um, it's an amazing opportunity to, um, as a human being, to be born in this in this world. Uh, actually, it's a uh, we are absolutely a holy phenomena. So if we will have uh, learn to have self confidence, we will not um, um, we will not need anybody to approve us. Mm. So it is only when we fear, only when we fear not being able to manage ourselves, then we will desire. Uh, to have confirmation from the greater greater power, and um, within accepting accept being uh, ruled by it. So um, I think this is something that we have to understand that we have to do it, and not anybody, because there is nobody that wants to help us. Not because there is nobody, because all the governments actually they are. Um, searching for their own um how do you say it um they want to gain also something yeah. in this politics when yeah. we are talking about the government politics they are they want to gain something yeah. about it yeah they, I, I, they, I, I i hear you and i think it's actually a really really great point although i would say i put a little asterisk on it to say 
sometimes when we're talking about the West, Western powers, uh, international community or whoever helping, what we mean by that is stop dealing with the regime, stop helping the regime, stop saving the murderers. You know, that's that's what we're actually saying, not come and ride on a white horse and, and, and fix this for us. That's true. That's true. But the point is that when they are putting sanctions on Iran, they are not putting sanctions on the people of the government because people of the government, they get their medicine. People of the government, they, they have the health uh, health caring and health insurance and health, everything that has to do with the health. The people of the government, they get the visa to be able to travel. But they are the people that are in Iran that they don't have the medicine when they want to go to a hospital. They don't find them simple things as a medicine to, you know, be treated. So when you're putting these sanctions on Iran, they are, you are not putting sanctions on uh, on the government of Iran. You are putting sanctions on the people of Iran. And that's something that I am not agree on. I mean, I am agree that they should stop dealing. They should not uh, let the Iranian government people come to Canada, for example, and invest there mm -hmm. and, you know, building out their uh, their businesses. Yes, of course, I am against that 100 percent. But I think and we should talk about that. But what I think also that we should ask from the, uh, you know, NGOs like a, or, or the um, organizations like the Human Rights Organization, UNICEF, all these uh, humanitarian rights right, right. Uh, organizations that they have to help us because I don't believe in the governments. That's the point. But I believe, we hope, we want to be positive and believe in that, that those kind of organizations maybe will help us. Right, right, right. <laughs> Um, I hear you. I, we'll probably have to agree to disagree on the sanctions issue because I'm in the camp of believing that we should isolate Iran any way we can at this point. And I think there's a lot of people in Iran, uh, those who are closing their shops, who might feel the same way too at this at this point. Um, but but I hear you. Let me ask you just a final question. As someone, it's such an interesting position that you're in because especially as as someone who's known uh, in the diaspora uh, you, your your job uh, what you do and and in fact what you explore and teach uh, is one of the very things that you can't even do inside Iran um, it, it's uh, so I always feel like for for the creative class there's an extra, kind of heartbreak in, when you look at contemporary Iran because it's not just disagreeing with what goes on there or feeling like you want basic rights there it's it's that you couldn't you don't even have the choice to to go there and actually exercise your craft of, of being a dancer um, what what would it mean to you um, for there to be change in Iran and and would it mean that you would move back oh definitely I mean um my biggest wish is that I would be able to perform in an Iranian stage. That's what I uh, my biggest wish is, and not only for a um, separated audience, only for uh, women, but also for a mixed audience, men and women. And if this will change, it's gonna change also my life. And um, yeah, as a dancer, I think um, this is like the. Uh, you are the most forbidden part of the society uh, that we can actually uh, have in Iran. And uh, for me, it will be a big change. Um, yeah, that's what I can say actually about that. Halia, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I thank you so much for making the time today. 
Yeah, you're welcome. It was a pleasure talking to you. Merci. Khodafiz. Khodafiz. That's Helia Bande in the north of Germany. This is full time for Rook for today. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Sabi Rohan, Talented Anhita, Parisa, Pega, Mehrdad, and Shaya. Thank you to all of you out there supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. You can uh, subscribe on any of our platforms or all of them. Find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. See you uh, with our new documentary, The Revolution from the Backyard of Iran, debuting next Thursday. Before then, Mizunbashi. <laughs>